Hi everyone, welcome to Murders in Paradise. I'm Jen, joined as always by GR Dad. Good evening. Good evening, GR Dad. We got a complicated case for this week. But before we start, I want to share the story of my limo driver in Toronto because I think it's a didn't turn into a true crime incident, but true crime I think prepared me for like what I might do. This is a worthy story. So I was in Toronto uh, for work last week and when I do these work trips they arrange to have like a car bring me like to and from the airport and everything is very fancy um, but it's like part of the deal that people get when they like book me to come to events that there has to be a driver and everything um, so it's very swank I feel real fancy when I do this and uh, I was in the car going to the airport after the event and the uh, driver sort of chatting with me, which is fine. I sort of prefer to just sit there and be quiet, but whatever, right? I'm I'm not going to be like a jerk about it. And so I was talking to this guy about uh, Nexus, which is like global entry for Canada. And uh, we were sort of talking about how you get cleared and if I could get it because Americans can get it. And he's like, yeah, you know, you fill out a form, you do all this stuff. And, you know, I had a criminal record, but I still got one. I was like, that's interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. And then he's sort of like, uh, you know, it was, I was 18. It was for reckless driving. And I'm like, okay, like no red flags up at this point, whatever. This is like on Twitter where it's me dot and nothing. You didn't <laughs> ask. You weren't pressing him. You weren't interrogating him. Let me just throw in this unrelated side note. He also said at some point, uh, I don't know how we were talking about it. But he was saying it was relevant to whatever we were talking about. And he was saying he looks basically the same as he did in high school, which maybe he does. Like people, you know, if they they would have he was probably 50 something. Like if you looked at his high school yearbook and you look at him now, like the face is sort of the same. You know, there's some people where it's like, that's that guy. Right. But he's like, no, I look pretty much the same. He's like, I went to something and someone's like. Yeah, you kept everything except your hair. He's bald. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not bald. I just shaved my head. And I'm sitting here in the back seat. And he's got like, his head is shaved. But there's clearly like a little <laughs> ring around the side where there's still hair. 100% bald. There's stubble. The and then there's no, no stubble That's right. at all. That's right. Little ring of stubble like, <sighs> or, you know, around the ears in the back. No stubble anywhere else. And he spent like five minutes telling me how he wasn't bald, how he just shaved his head. And I was like, cool, man. That's good. I mean, that's a look. It's easy maintenance. Like, okay. you're full of crap, but okay. It makes you feel better. Backing away. Uh, so that was first. And then the I have a criminal record. And then we were talking about, you know, he had seen a basketball team go into the Ritz in Toronto. And he's like, yeah, you know, I used to get you know really worked up when there'd be celebrities and stuff that i'd drive around but now uh you know i just it's not a big deal to me and i was like well yeah you know they're just people they're, you know they're just kind of like everybody else and he's like actually a lot of them get attitudes especially these actresses they get like big attitudes and he's like i had this one person i was driving and you know i think it was a guy he was treating me like his personal assistant and, you know, ordering me around, yelling at me. And I was like, hey, buddy, like, I don't work for you. Like, I'm not your assistant. I'm just here to drive you to the place. And I was like, this is a fine story so far. And then he's like, I mean, I told him, I'm like, I'll totally pull this gun out that I have under my she- seat and shoot you with it. And I was like, holy crap. Record scratch. This was exactly <laughs> uh, That was an unnecessary fact to share with me. Dude has made it extremely clear to me now that he has a gun under his seat that he's willing to pull out. 
And then he made this comment. He's like, people don't talk to you like that in the United States. As though like, oh, we all got guns. And so no one would dare be rude in the United States because oh, they're yeah, just getting... never happens. There's no road rage either. No, it's got to be like, uh, you know, it's a real Canadian view of what gun ownership means in America and also highly inaccurate. Um, but I'm like, okay, like, I'm extremely worried now. Like, not, I mean... I would not care if a driver had a gun under his seat, like in general, like whatever. Like, didn't make it a point to tell you about yeah, it? Yeah, the present, <laughs> or if, you know, if I like peeped mm. a gun, like when I was getting in the car, <laughs> I mean, I, that wouldn't happen, right? But like the presence of guns does not generally make me uncomfortable. The fact that this dude is making a point of letting me know that he has a weapon that he's like threatened to use against one of his passengers before, I'm like, he didn't have to tell me that for this story. So he wants me to know this. So that's concerning. And then, I mean, like right after that, we're like taking a left turn and somebody tried to cut him off and he like yells at the other driver, like, oh, I'm going to hurt you. And I'm like, all right. So we got like threats of violence against other people a couple times, presence of a weapon. Um, what's this guy going to do? Like, and you're stuck in the stupid car with him. I am in the car with him. and uh, And I'm like... What's the best way to handle this situation? It was to just be as nice as possible. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, like traffic got heavy enough after that that he stopped talking to me and kind of focused on his driving. But um, it was interesting because like, you know, people can tell me stories about crazy crap that they've done normally, you know, that doesn't bother me. I don't go like, oh, you know, if he's like, I have a criminal record because I got a reckless driving conviction when I was 18, I wouldn't be like, oh, well, dude, maybe like not a very good driver. Like that didn't raise any red flags for me by itself. Uh, weird story to be telling to a person you're professionally driving around. But there you go. Whatever. I mean, uh, you get all kinds of boundary levels with people who are driving you around <laughs> and what they're going to tell you. So I don't naturally worry about that. But it's like, man, like this dude really needed to let me know that he mm -hmm. had a gun that he was willing to use. And uh, fortunately, he didn't try to do anything. That... Also, I'm not sure that's okay in Toronto. Yeah, well, I'm not an expert on even American law, let alone Canadian. But yeah, so there you go. There's my little... I didn't become a true crime victim, but I was strategizing what <sighs> I might do. Uh, not a good story. Crazy. Um, I mean, a good story. But not a happy story. Yeah, nothing bad happened. Mm -hmm. All right, so you ready for our Florida Keys? Yeah, and unlike this story, I have not heard any of this before. Yeah, there's there are a bunch of people in this story um, and multiple bodies. Cool. I don't know if it will be our highest body count because we did have that serial killer. <sighs> but All right, so we have Terry Rosado. She is a mom to three kids. Um she got married relatively young, got divorced, and then just within a few months of her divorce, started dating a new man, Carlos Ortiz. He moves in. So they're living uh, with on Tavernier, which is sort of by Alamorada in the Upper Keys. Um, so it's Terry and Carlos, and then Terry's three kids, Noah, who's eight, Martha, who's four, and Michael, who's three. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point... So we're looking at October 15th, 2015. This is all terrifying for me because I don't know who's going to die of this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, th there's all sorts of crazy stuff that's uh, happening in this story. Uh, so Terry Rosado at this time, she's 26. So she's got these three kids. Uh, Carlos Ortiz, the boyfriend who's moved in, is 30. So on the night of October 14th, the oldest kid, Noah, 
hears some noise. He hears people yelling. He figures it's mom fighting with the boyfriend. So it must have happened somewhat regularly. Just goes back to sleep. What year? 2015. Okay. All right. So October 15th, 2015, Noah wakes up. Nobody's around. Walks into his mom and Carlos's bedroom, and they're both dead on the floor of the bedroom. Blood everywhere. They have a pit bull puppy who has walked through the blood, so there's like little blood footprints. Apparently, Noah spends like two hours in the room crying, and then he and his siblings get some construction paper and draw headstones for the mom and the boyfriend because they're like eight, four, and three, right? So it's like what to do. Yeah, so they do that, and they're like, well, now we've got to go find a place to live, I guess. Oh, my God. It's so sad. So he gets the siblings, and they just start walking down the street holding hands. They're like, all right, we're going to go oh find a place God, to live. Oh, my God, this is like Dickensian. This is so terrible. Sad. It's so sad. So their neighbor, Travis Kavadis, K-V-A-D-U-S, he's 35. Um, he babysits these kids sometimes, and he apparently has a ton of security cameras around his house. And Florida, man. Yeah. Um, and so he's up in the morning, and he sees these kids. He's monitoring his security cams. Yeah, just looking at him. <laughs> I picture, I don't know what it was like, but I picture like a bunch of like mini TVs. He's like, like in a room with all TVs. Stacked up in a grid, yeah, <laughs> looking out at him. Uh, so he sees these kids walking down the street, and he's like, what are these kids doing out walking by themselves? He goes out, the kids have blood on them, and they're like, yeah, you know, mom and Carlos are dead. And he's like, are you sure? Okay. And they're like, yeah, there's a lot of blood. So they bring him over there. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, they're dead. They did. <laughs> uh, so calls the cops. Um, so the cops come. Both of them has, have been shot in the head. Um. Carlos has been shot in the back of the head. Terry has been shot in the top of the head. From the top down. So what it seems like is Carlos got shot and then she either ducked or bent down and she got kind of shot while she was down there. Um, I This will sort of come into play later in the story, but they just a, a note from the medical examiner here that they did blood work on Terry and Carlos. Terry's blood came back positive for marijuana, cocaine, Xanax, and oxycodone. Carlos Ortiz came back positive for marijuana, morphine and oxycodone Mm. um not that they killed themselves obviously somebody killed them but uh there's a lot of drugs in this story so that's october 15th 2015 let's go back a few months to june of 2015 okay okay different guy what happened to the pit bull puppy uh there's no news about what happened to the puppy or or the kids frankly i don't know who the kids ended up with uh but she terry did have a lot of family i think up by Miami or Fort Lauderdale, like up in kind of mainland South Florida. So my guess is that the puppy and the kids all went to the family. That's a nice up thought. There. Yeah. yeah. We, I may pull it up later. Like I, I did read an article like at the end of this whole thing um, where there are some relatives interviewed. So maybe if I pull that up when we're going okay. towards the end, we'll see. I didn't see any other news of the puppy though. Fair enough. So, um, okay. June of 2015. So a few months before the murders. Jeremy McCauley, he works on a charter boat called the Seahorse. So this is a boat that typically takes tourists out uh, fishing Mm -hmm. is what these boats do. Uh, So he's out there on the Seahorse. They spot a square grouper. Now I say they, um, there is a guy who was the captain of this boat. 
He claims to have no knowledge of any of this, no knowledge of the square grouper. He wasn't charged with anything. Um, a bunch of people get charged with a whole bunch of stuff related to this. He never gets charged with anything. Um, he argues that there was no square grouper, that Jeremy McCauley found something somewhere else. Um, who knows? But I'm leaving him out of this because it seems like he didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but it appears, and all the stories seem to support that, he, Jeremy McCauley is out on this boat. They find a square grouper. That is, if you don't remember from a previous podcast, uh, a, a bunch of drugs. That's a different podcast. Oh, did we not talk about it on this one? No. All right, so square grouper is, uh, is basically drugs that you find floating in the water. Um, usually marijuana that you find kind of a bale that has, sometimes it dropped from planes and then boats are supposed to pick it up. Sometimes it's dropped, you know, from a drug boat. Um, and you just kind of find them floating in the water. This happens all the time in in the keys probably in all of south florida but especially in the keys they don't all get picked up when they're dropped yeah so they're just floating out there um what do you do if you find a square group or some people are just like i don't want a damn thing to do with this that would definitely be my approach i'd yeah. be like hey bale of marijuana have a good time out there in the ocean because i don't want anything to do with this uh some people pull them in and call the coast guard or the police or whatever and then of course some people go this is half a million dollars worth of drugs that i have just pulled out of the ocean win a lot more money than you make running a charter boat yeah so uh in this case jeremy mccauley they find 15 kilos of cocaine that's 33 pounds of cocaine one package of square grouper so i say they but probably just him and you know, what do you do? That's a lot of money. It's half a million dollars worth of cocaine. Wow. Um, and so he decides he's going to Not to call it. the Coast Guard. Not to call the Coast Guard. Oh, no, this is bad. So what happens when fishermen in the Keys decide to keep a square grouper? They got to sell those drugs, but they don't know how to sell drugs. And so a lot of times they get caught because they just start like selling drugs and then they sell to an undercover cop because they don't know any of the stuff to look out for and they get arrested. So they tend not to do really well. Uh, the ones who manage to do a little bit better will find drug dealers and work with the drug dealers. So essentially you have like an expert drug person that's working with you because you don't know what the hell you're doing. Oh. Um, so Jeremy McCauley knows, you know, he's going to sell some of this cocaine to people that he knows, but that he can't unload all of it. And so who's he going to call to help him with this? Ghostbusters. Carlos, Carlos Ortiz. Oh. Uh, who he knows and apparently knows him relatively well because he sends him a video. So Jeremy takes a video of himself with all the co cocaine saying like, I'm going to get this money. Sends it to Carlos Ortiz and they decide to basically go in together. Like on Facebook or on text message. Text message. It sends him a text message <sighs> with this video in it. Um, or probably iMessage because they both have iPhones. Sure. Uh, yeah. So Ortiz is like, yeah, I'll help you sell this. Like, it's going to be a great way for me to make money. Uh, you're going to make money. Now we're entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. So they both start selling cocaine and uh, making a lot of money. So Jeremy McCauley, he buys a new truck. He starts wearing like all these gold necklaces. Uh, Carlos Ortiz also selling cocaine. And he works part time in a barber shop. Um, I think on Isla Morada and decides he's going to open his own tattoo shop next door to the barber shop. It's called Ink Your Dreams, D-R-E-A-M-Z-Z-Z. -Z -Z. Ink Your Three Dreams. Z's. Nice. <laughs> Ink Your Dreams. Uh, and so 
Ortiz is going to run this. He's going to be the tattoo artist. Apparently, he was a really good, like, sketch artist, which is an important skill if you're going to give tattoos, I guess. Um, so he and Jeremy McCauley are kind of co-owners in this tattoo parlor. And I think part of the problem arose from that because I think Ortiz really wanted to ultimately, like, be a tattoo shop owner and, like, do tattoos and... I don't know if he would have like totally gotten out of selling drugs. That's the thing he'd been doing for a long time. But maybe it's like, this is actually the thing I want. And I think the story sort of suggests that Jeremy McCauley maybe just saw it as like a front for money laundering and didn't mm. really care about it doing well. And so there's a lot of tension, of course, that comes up if you're like, I want, this is like my dream business and this is what I want to do. And the other guy's like, this is just to like hide money. Like we're not doing all that stuff. So there's a lot of tension there. And, of course, both of them are taking a lot of drugs. They're dipping into that cocaine that like they have to so sell. so bad for so many I've seen enough drug shows on TV to know this is ill-fated. This yeah. is a bad thing. There's so many more people who are going to get, like, pulled into all of this. This is like a movie. Yeah. So we get to October. Um, there's definitely tension between Macaulay and Ortiz. They're fighting. And Ortiz starts needing cash. Because uh, he's spending money, but also he's taking a lot of the cocaine that he's uh, that he's supposed to be selling. So he's, he's he's low on money. He's low on money and low on cocaine, and he's like, I gotta find a way well, to get money. Better go fishing again, <laughs> brick. Well, he's not the fisherman though. Oh yeah, right. He's the, the drug guy, not the fisher guy. Um, so. Ortiz is talking to a different friend. We're going to leave out as many names as possible because it gets really overwhelming. But talking to a different friend who's like, you know any drug dealers that I can roll, basically? Like, rob these drug dealers? And the friend's like, this is a bad idea, man. And he's like, no, like, I need money. I need this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to extort Jeremy, the guy that I have been the business partner with. So he takes that video that Jeremy had sent him oh, back no. in June, texts it back to Jeremy, and is basically like, you're going to give me the drugs and you're going to give me the money or I'm going to go to the to cops and tell them what's going on. It's bad. It's a bad move, man. It is a bad move. Even though Macaulay is like a charter boat fisherman, he is not a professional drug dealer, you're still threatening to go to the cops about him having half a million dollars worth of cocaine or whatever there is left at that point. And you've got this video of him, so it's not like you're going to go to the cops and be like, I hear a rumor of this dude's money got no, like money and drugs he's admitting it right here like here's a picture of him with 33 pounds of cocaine talking about how he's gonna get all his money from it easiest investigation ever guys yeah so uh so we've got these text messages uh but just as like a side note carlos ortiz sent these from terry's phone for some reason okay uh not from his own phone um and that's the night of october 14th and october 15th is when they're found dead so the question is who killed them? So certainly it could be Jeremy McCauley, but there's other people who are involved and rumored that would be my guess, to be though. investigated. So The extorted guy. Let's talk about what the cops found. So the cops, you know, obviously get called once, uh, once the neighbor finds the bodies. So the cops come out and they're like, okay, at the scene they find Terry's phone that has this text message in the video. All right, mm -hmm. so right away they know Jeremy, Jeremy McCauley got a whole bunch of cocaine 
they they watch the video right. and they see these messages where Carlos is like, you're going to give me the cocaine and the money or whatever. And then there's apparently a bunch of other texting back and forth um, and they pull phone records and text records. And so there's a bunch of messages back and forth. And it sounds like Jeremy's like, fine, I'm going to come over. I'm going to bring you this stuff. So that's certainly pretty, a consideration. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, but the neighbor, uh, Travis Cavadas, the one with the security cameras. Yeah. So they want to talk to him because he's the one who found the bodies. And the person who finds the bodies is often the person who created the bodies. Mm-hmm. So he's got all these security cameras. He had footage of the night yeah. when the murders took place, right? He should have, yeah. No, he doesn't. He deleted all of it. Oh, my. He's in. He deleted He's in on it. All of the footage. So, of course, they bring him in. Yeah, they should. And then we get another person who says this new guy to our story, Adrian Demblins, borrowed a car from a friend. We're not going to name the friends because there's too many names. Different friend. Borrows a car. He's dressed all in black. They bribe the friend, I think, with some crack. Who's they? Adrian and... And... X. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, says, I'm going to give you some crack and you're going to give me your car to use. And the friend who got bribed with the crack really didn't want them using his car, but kind of felt like he didn't have an option. And so, wanted crack. And probably also wanted the crack. <laughs> um, and so so we've got this guy, Adrian Dembus. He has borrowed this car. He's dressed all in black. He's got someone with him. He drives off that night, drives back. There's some blood left in the car. And then we're going to come back to this because there's more stuff about this Adrian guy in a minute. All right. So, so far, you haven't connected him up to anything. No. So he has rented a car or borrowed a car, dressed in black, leaves that night, comes right. back. There's blood in the car. Yeah. And so the friend's like, maybe he had something to do it, do with it because um, he is also into drugs and it's like, huh, the night that these people got killed, oh. this guy borrowed my car and brought it back, and he was dressed all—he was dressed like he was going to go do something suspicious, and then there's blood in the car. Oh. Um, meanwhile, as the cops are investigating, someone is snorkeling in one of the canals. So um, in the Keys, pretty much every house has water access. And some of them, like us, if you're lucky, you have open water access, so you're looking at the ocean or the gulf. And most of them uh, aren't like that, so they're on canals. So there will be like one big street and then like a bunch of streets branching off it. And in between those streets is a canal, so everybody can have a boat and put it in the canal and then get out into the ocean. Yeah, so you, you can get to your house by the road or you can get to your house by the canal. Yeah, there's very few houses that don't have access to the water because everybody in the Keys has a boat except for us. No, exactly. <laughs> we don't, we're not boaters. Right. Uh, we don't have a dock either, but most of them do. So someone's snorkeling in one of the canals. And they find a gun on the bottom. The water is yeah. extremely clear fast, in the Keys. Fast work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just within a couple weeks. And so they call the cops and they're like, hey, found this gun. So the cops send out a snorkeling crew and they find the gun. Um, it's been like thrown over a bridge over one of the canals. And then a few feet away, they also find Carlos Ortiz's iPhone, which nice. was missing from the scene. Oh, because they had Terry's, not Carlos's. That's right. They just had Terry's. Carlos's was missing, so they have found it next to this gun that has been thrown over a bridge. Now, Adrian, the guy who borrowed the car for some crack, his girlfriend's like, yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, Adrian, we totally went diving in that spot. Uh, He kind of heard that, like, 
you guys might be looking at him. And so then he said he had lost some keys and he borrowed a set of scuba gear and a metal detector and was down there in that canal, like looking around looking for, for stuff. Looking for the gun. Looking for the gun. Unfortunately, he got there a couple days after the cops did. So the gun was already gone. Man, um, this is so dirty. So there's your connecting him back in. I just yeah, had to give yeah, you that yeah. other story. All right. So now we got three suspects. Um, so the police bring in Travis, the neighbor with the security footage or lack of security footage and they grill him and he's like no man like i didn't do anything Uh i'm fine Mm -hmm. they seem okay with that like he's got an alibi he probably has security footage of him in his house all night who knows uh he says the reason he deleted it is that every morning he deletes the previous day's stuff because his hard drive isn't big enough to hold all of the stuff (laughs) so he just has to delete it every morning so like there's anything interesting he has it but apparently there were just cars driving past the night before. All Who right. knows? Because right. he deleted it. So Fair enough. He's off the hook, but we're not done with him. He'll come back into this story. Um, so we have Adrian Dembis, and then it turns out Jeremy was the other guy in the car that Adrian borrowed for the crack. Jeremy, the guy who had all the cocaine. So Jeremy and Adrian go over to the house of Carlos and well, this is obvious now. Yeah. To me. There, there's more coming. I think it's obvious. I mean, that's fine. I just, you got to have all the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So the story goes that Adrian drove. They get to the house. Jeremy gets out. The guy with the cocaine who's been threatened goes in, comes back out, and they leave. Mm-hmm. All right. This so is Adrian's version. This is basically Adrian's version. Sure. Yeah. So the cops arrest them both. They're sitting in jail. So then we get this uh, jailhouse snitch who says, no, no, no. Adrian and I are hanging out. He said he did all of it, that he killed both of them and that he would have killed the ki- would have killed the kids, too, if he had known that they were there and that Jeremy didn't have anything to do with it, that he did all of it. Nice. Um, Jeremy McCauley's lawyer says... Jeremy was at home all night. We have two witnesses, I think like a girlfriend and somebody else who say he was home all night. And oh. look, his cell phone never left his house. The cell phone like tower pings his cell phones at his house all night because he couldn't have just left it there while he would right. kill somebody. Right, definitely an alibi, yeah. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, we've got uh, the neighbor, Travis Kvadis, who had the security footage and then didn't have the security footage. Uh, he's 35, by the way. Turns up dead. Oh, nice. Yep. There is absolutely no information about this. The only statement I found is that it appears that foul play wasn't involved, though the medical examiner had not determined a cause of death. I went look. I mean, I did a ton of searching for this. I went looking for his obituary, right? And for all these people, I look up their obituaries. And the obituary is just like Travis Kvadis. 35, like born on this day, died on this day, uh, you know, died on this day. And then the stuff where it's like he survived by whatever. The only line in every obituary is he was a resident of Florida. That's it. His entire obituary is just like this guy born, died, died on this day. He was a resident of Florida. That's it. There's nothing. And everyone's like, lawyers for both sides are like, no comment on active investigations. He clearly got 
He got involved. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, going to be one of the big witnesses at the trial, obviously, since he's the one that, like, found the kids in the morning. And, you know, who knows what he saw the who night before? Who knows what he actually Because he saw. probably just sits in front of his security cameras and watches what's going on. So maybe he saw the truck go past. Maybe he saw whatever. He knew and I think was friends with Jeremy McCauley as well as so Carlos shady. Ortiz. He's so shady. So he's tied into everyone. So I don't want to cast dispersions on this guy. Because, you know, he babysat these kids and tried to kind of help them at the time. But uh, maybe somebody didn't like that he was going to testify. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone thought he had more than he did. Maybe he just overdosed on drugs. There seems to be a lot of drug use going on in all this True. Uh, circle. So who knows? Uh, but he died. It would be a big coincidence. Yeah, I, I agree. Died before the trial. Um, so yeah, just all it says is no foul play is suspected. The the county medical examiner is not determined to cause a death. And it's like, man, how do you know that foul play, if he was strangled, how do you know that there's no foul play? Shot himself six times in the stomach. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, they do eventually go to trial in November of 2017. So the crime was October of 2015. They finally go to trial in... November of 2017, uh, the jury took two hours to convict Jeremy McCauley of murder. Uh, Adrian, the driver, testified against him, took took a plea deal. Um, Adrian also got a 10-year prison sentence for being an accessory after the fact, um, and he pled guilty, and there was, like, a plea involved with that. Should have tried it separately. I, I, they were going to be tried separately. Um, oh, because with the, with the, of the plea. Yeah, so they were going to be tried separately. Um, Adrian was never going to be charged with murder. He was always going to be charged as an accessory. I guess they had no evidence at all that he ever went in there. Except Uh, the snitch. Except the snitch. And and everyone seemed real dismissive of the snitch for some reason. (laughs) Uh, Except Jeremy McCauley's lawyer who thought the snitch was absolutely telling the truth. (laughs) Snitch was a genius for that guy, yeah. Uh, But I think he'd been faced, Adrian had been facing like 30 years is a potential penalty for accessory after the fact. And so he actually got 10 as part of this plea. And then he testified uh, against Jeremy in the trial. In addition, um, after that trial, so uh, Jeremy got life for the murders. He also got another 15 years for selling cocaine in a separate that he did eventually take a plea on that. Um, So after he dies, they got to keep that corpse around There's for 15 years. There's a video of him anyway. Yeah, I know. There's a video of him with the cocaine. Yeah, uh, yeah it's real obvious. So no, the adding on 15 years makes it less likely you'll get out on parole and less likely right. you'll get good behavior, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I this story was all over the place. It's sort of considered one of the most brutal murders of the Florida Keys in, you know, 25 years. It's pretty, it's like big city violence in the Keys. Yeah, this sort of thing doesn't happen. You'll see this like with all the other crimes we talk about. None of them are good, right? But a lot of it's like people had an argument, domestic violence. People uh, bite each other. Pe- yeah, a lot of biting stories, which you can hear about on our other podcast, the Golden Radio <laughs> podcast. We tell all the stories of biting. Uh, you know, some, like, somebody gets drunk or high on drugs and, and like, kills somebody else. Um, you know, we had the one serial killer, but generally it's much more kind of, if I mean, no murders are mundane, but, like, just kind of run-of-the-mill sort of stuff down in the Keys. Like, you don't get 
yeah, this a lot kind of, of violence. Heat of passion, or people are drunk and stoned and doing something stupid. It's not this premeditated stuff. Yeah, they get in a fight over something that they're pissed off about, and somebody ends up killing somebody else. Yeah. Um, so there, ton of news on this, but the Miami New Times has an amazing article. Uh, Tim Elfrink is the reporter who wrote it, and it's just beautifully written. You know, like. Uh, the great prose, really good storytelling, and has a ton of details on it. And it's, it's interesting, it's before Travis Kvadis died. So he's in this article, he's interviewed really extensively. There's a great paragraph at the end where they're talking about, you know, where he's like doing the interview. And they're like, yeah, you know, he's sitting on his porch and the uh, ocean breezes are blowing in and he's got like this little tropical thing and he's, you know, just talking like this great description of Travis. Um, before he died yeah so if he's uh he's talking to the press maybe he, you know people are getting worried yeah who knows this was before the trial um yeah. so anyway i'll link to that story along with some pictures of these people and all sorts of things we got a truck going on in the background that's exciting um so that was a that's a great story and it's a good way to get pretty much all all the relevant details so you ready for a dog palate cleanser i think so yeah yeah uh so this this is a great one so i don't know if you remember this story this is like a year ago there's this little chihuahua named jackson and uh with an x j-a-x-o-n no he's 12 years old and he has a favorite toy that's like this green dragon it's like one of those long like plushy toys and you know with like the stubby little feet and the stubby little arms and then it's got like some little fangly teeth and uh this was like his favorite toy it's the only toy he would ever play with and you know it occasionally you know they'll rip a hole in it or whatever and so uh the mom of jackson would keep going to the store and getting him a new green dragon and then she went to the store and they didn't have him anymore because it had been discontinued And so she had tweeted, like, hey, does anybody have these, like, in their local place? Like, can you find them? Because it's the only toy that he wants. Dog Rates had retweeted it. And this came out in December, like, two Decembers ago. Because we were down in the Keys, and I was like, I got to go to, like, the pet supermarket and see if they've got any of these dragons so I can send them to Jackson. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Dog Rates retweeted it. So it was, like, a big thing right everyone was like on the search you know looking on ebay looking on all of these places and uh so eventually someone at a pet smart in texas went in the back and they found a whole case of them like in the discontinued stock section and they're like oh no we gotta send all these to jackson so they shipped him a whole box of all these identical green dragons um and so now he he's 12 so he's kind of got like a lifetime Lifetime supply supply, of the green dragons uh so you know i remember following this at the time and the dodo did an article about it but i didn't tell you this story now because i found it on the dodo i did it because jackson's mom was like, hey, if you need another dog palate cleanser for Murders in Paradise, you're totally oh, welcome to tell Jackson's Jackson. story. And I was like, oh, you're Jackson's mom? Like, I was hunting for toys for Jackson. So I totally followed this story. So apparently Jackson's mom listens to the oh, podcast that. That is... and gave us permission to use Jackson as our story. Good and, karma, man. Good karma. Yep. Yeah, and it is a just a super happy story, um, which I will link to along with everything else. And there's these great pictures of Jackson, like, opening this box with, like, all these green dragons in it and, like, pulling one 
one out, so he's got a new one. Um, so hope Jackson's still going strong. Uh, he is. I got a picture of him well, in the tweet. That's awesome. As of a few days before recording, Jackson was still happy, and uh, and I got a good picture of him. This is a very good story. That's yeah. a lot happier than that other stupid story with all the murders. I mean, this is a murder podcast, so <sighs> we're gonna keep, keep having this. Keep having this existential <laughs> struggle. <laughs> Um, all right, so there you go. A, a real drug running story of the keys. Probably the only one of those we're going to do. This is it's m- rare. movie plot quality. I told I would you. Say. This yeah. was, could yeah. be a movie for to- sure. Totally could be, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, any final words before we sign off? Uh, I don't, no, sad. I still don't like this killing stuff. Well, you know, I can do another unsolved. Nope. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is better. People I mean, this- go to jail. This is fine. Better than sex with a corpse? I have no experience in that. I am not interested in no, any of that. No, I meant that was our story from last yeah, week. That was terrible. Yeah. Also terrible. Messed up. Also, no real karmic retribution there. I think, you know, at least here someone goes to jail for a no, good long time. That dude cray. <sighs> yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. And in the meantime, don't conk out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>